Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Nate. I am one of the pastors here. Looking forward to opening up the Word of God with you this morning. Go ahead and turn in your copy of Scriptures to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We are, I think, exactly halfway through our summer series here in 1 Peter. And, uh, and we have been seeing, and hopefully we'll continue to see, that Peter encourages Christians uh, to stand firm in our faithfulness to Christ in the midst of suffering and persecution by clinging to the hope of eternity. Uh, last week, we, we saw that we are called to live holy lives in a hostile world and in a way that continues through this week, these passages are connected. So as you're even turning to 1 Peter 3, I just want to read a couple verses from the last chapter that we covered last week. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 2 says, Beloved, uh, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then the first part of 13 there says, be subject for the Lord's sake. We are meant to study 1 Peter chapter 3 in light of those verses, specifically that last part, for the Lord's sake. So today we're going to look at hope displayed in some of our relationships, and uh, we're going to see it as a connection out of those verses. So three ways that our hope is put on display. The first, hope is displayed in fearless submission and inner beauty. Hope is displayed in fearless submission and inner beauty. Take a look at chapter three, starting in verse one. It says, likewise, or in the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your reverent and pure conduct. Uh, don't let your adorning be merely external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham by calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So first here, we're gonna see that hope is displayed in our marriages. And he starts this first part of the chapter talking to wives. And if you've looked ahead, you might be like, why, Nate, are there so many verses for the ladies, but so few for the men? In fact, I think there's six for the ladies and just one for the men. Okay. This honestly speaks more about the sad state of affairs for husbands than it does for wives. Uh, women, wives during this time were treated horribly. And even as part of that, they were even expected to just simply take whatever religion that their husbands had. And this attention to detail here, uh, I think it's Peter's way of valuing these women. It's saying, I see you and Jesus sees you, which is actually right here in these verses. 
And you have great value and worth even in furthering the kingdom of God in your marriage. And Peter addresses wives in general, uh, but he specifically narrows in on those who have become Christians and still have disobedient or unbelieving husbands. So I want to attempt to kind of summarize what is happening here in these six verses and then uh, go through a couple points out of this for us. So here's a summary of this. A a wife's hope in God, uh, her settled confidence in him and his promises, it produces in her an, an inner imperishable beauty that is displayed in her submission to her own husband and powerfully testifies to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again because I forgot to put it on the screen. A wife's hope in God, her settled confidence in him and his promises, it, it actually produces in her this inner imperishable beauty that is displayed in her submission to her own husband and powerfully testifies to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Wives in this passage first, we see them called to be subject to their husbands. So look at the first verse. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband. Be subject. That's the same word we looked at last week. It means to submit or to place under or to yield to. Who? All husbands, all men everywhere know to your own husband. Uh, We see across scripture, uh, starting in Genesis and then again in Ephesians and Colossians and 1 Timothy and here in 1 Peter, that a wife's divine calling is to willingly yield herself to her own husband, right? To to honor and affirm his God-given role and to help him to co-labor with him on God's mission by utilizing her God-given gifts. And all of it because of her hope in the future and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And in step with his example of submission, even, even to the Father. So wives are called to be subject to their own husbands. Second thing that we see in this passage is wives are called to cultivate inner beauty called to cultivate inner beauty. Look at verses three and four. It says, don't let your adorning be merely external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very Precious, adorning. Adorning is something which causes something to be beautiful or serves to beautify. Okay, this this section of scripture is not saying that you shouldn't do any external beautifying. My wife was very keen that I mentioned that this morning. (laughs) This doesn't mean that you don't put on earrings or makeup or dress nicely, okay? If it was saying that, then you wouldn't be able to wear any clothes at all. Because according to this, it it includes or the clothing you wear as part of this. You're like, okay, Nathan, what what is this saying? It's simply urging wives to focus on what is most important, specifically 
inner beauty. Your primary focus should, should not be on the temporary beauty that will fade away and eventually will be gone. Your primary focus should be on the imperishable, eternal, inner beauty that is cultivated by the Lord and in relationship with him. Uh, that beauty specifically, if you look down at verse four, is this, it says it's a gentle and a quiet spirit. Gentle is meek or not selfishly insisting on its own rights. Uh, quiet is a tranquil or a peaceful spirit. Uh, it's interesting uh, in the New Testament, these are not solely feminine qualities. Uh, the New Testament uses these to describe Jesus at several points. Um, it also lists them as fruits of the spirit that we're all meant to have in our lives. But, but right here, specifically talking to wives, it says that they are called to devote themselves to cultivating this type of inner beauty. Uh, ladies, for a second. Um, society, culture, social media, Hollywood, retailers, men do not define beauty. God does. And he says here that this is the beauty that is precious to him in your hidden and inner self. And he sees you. Peter uh, then appeals to the example of, I love this, the holy women who have gone before. Uh, Sarah is one of those that's held in particularly high esteem uh, because she was the mother of God's people, right? I think it's really cool that she's actually listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as an example of faith for all of us. Uh, look down at verses five and six there. It says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham by calling him Lord. And, and you are her children if you do good and don't fear anything that is frightening. So this is interesting. You might be like, okay, Nate, I was with you. And then we got to this. And it says, and she called him Lord. Like, what's up with that? Like, that could make for some interesting conversations on the way home from church today. Uh, here's, here's what that is. That's referring back to Genesis chapter 18. And here's what's happening in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, the Lord appears to Abraham and, and he says, hey, this, next time, this, this time next year, I'm gonna return and you and Sarah, your wife, are gonna have a son, all right? And Sarah's here and she's listening outside of the tent door. She's not even in there. She's just kind of listening outside. And then almost as an aside, quietly to herself, she kind of mumbles under her breath and she says, I'm old and my Lord Abraham is no spring chicken either. Uh, how is it that we will have the pleasure of having a child? All right. And this is so cool. When no one is listening, she's by herself. She's even like, like, skeptical about all of this. And even in that moment when no one else is paying attention, she refers to Abraham with this term of respect, my Lord, Abraham. Like, uh, so here's a way I heard someone explain it this way one time and I thought it was really good. Uh, 
Wives, think of it this way. When you are most respecting your husband, when you're at a moment of particularly showing love for him, what do you call him? Not all those other things that you call him. Okay, in that moment, when you are honoring him well, what do you refer to him as? That's what Sarah is doing here. Like, and it is so cool. I mean, it's, it's pointing to her ongoing day-to-day submission to Abraham that's produced by her hope in God. Look down at uh, the end of verse six there too, and it says, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So in other words, you show yourself to be her children, the children of promise, God's children. If you follow her example and you do what is right and you don't fear anyone except God, right? You don't have to fear ridicule and mistreatment by other women who see the way that you live gently and quietly and mock you for it. You don't have to fear your husband who may hate your faith and treat you accordingly. You can stand firm in fearless submission and in inner beauty by clinging to the hope of Jesus Christ. Why? Why are we called to live like this? Why are wives called to live like this? Look back at verse one. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband. For what reason? So that, so that even if some don't obey the word, they may be one with out a word by the conduct of their wives when those husbands see the reverent and pure conduct of their wives uh, towards the Lord. One without a, a word, there's, there's actually an, like an evangelistic purpose to living this way. Like you're, you're meant to point your husbands to Christ. And you're like, well, wait, by just being quiet? Like, how does that work? I mean, we all know that the, the gospel actually has to be communicated and spoken to be received and grasped. So, so what is this saying? Here's what this is saying. You don't need to harass your husband with Bible verses because he doesn't know Jesus or he isn't obeying. You don't need to blare your worship music in the house hoping that he'll hear some of it. You don't need to be so quick to remind him of those points from the sermon last week. Your most powerful tool, your most powerful apologetic is your inner beauty lived out faithfully. The primary testimony of a wife in a hostile world is her conduct that overflows from Hope in God, an inner beauty lived out that's pleasing to him. Wives, I have to stop for a minute and ask, like, does your relationship with your husband display your hope in God? Are you 
willingly yielding and respecting him and laboring alongside of him as his greatest teammate? Does your conduct reflect that Jesus is your king, he's your savior, he's your example? First way that we see hope displayed in this passage is fearless submission and inner beauty. Second way that we see hope displayed in this passage is hope is displayed in understanding and honor. In understanding and honor. Now we turn to the husbands. Verse seven says, likewise, in the same way, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So remember back chapter two, right? We're supposed to be reading these verses in light of chapter two, for the Lord's sake, husbands, for the Lord's sake, live with your wives in this way. And the first thing that it calls men to do is to live with your wife in an understanding way. Understanding here, a a more wooden translation of that would be live with your wives according to knowledge, according to knowledge. So what knowledge? Knowledge that would pertain to this marriage relationship. So live with her according to the knowledge of God and how God has ordered this relationship and your responsibility under God to care for your wife and to love her like Christ loved the church, right? But it's also your to live with your wife according to knowledge in relation to knowledge of her, right? Her needs and desires and her fears, her weaknesses and her strengths. And then you're supposed to live with her accordingly. Men, do you know your wives? Like really know them and understand them. Do you Do you listen to her? And I mean listening to understand and interact, not like head nodding, listening while I'm watching the game. Do you listen to her? Do you ask her questions to get to know her better? Do you ask for her advice and her opinions and her inputs and even her critiques as they're needed? You are meant to study your wife and to seek to know her and understand her and to live with her accordingly. Uh, Last week, I noticed that um, Amy was especially uh, quiet, which is typically what she does when uh, she's struggling with something. And so I saw it and I said, hey, hon, like, what's what's going on? And like, the dam broke. (laughs) Like, everything just kind of came flooding out and she was sharing some sin struggles and some sadness and some difficulties that she's working through and has been working through for some time. And before you go, oh, Nate, good job. Way to understand your wife. Let me explain to you why it was an epic fail moment, actually. Uh, she had been quiet for some time. And the sad thing is, is I don't know how long. Maybe it's for a couple days. Uh, Maybe it was longer. I don't even know why I didn't notice. Maybe I was so caught up in my own 
selfish world I just didn't see, or maybe even worse, um, maybe I did see. I didn't love her enough to stop and to dig in and to ask. Not that, husbands. That is not the way that we're meant to live with our wives. We're meant to know them and understand them and live appropriately with them into that. When we see that our wife is quiet and we know when they get quiet that something is struggling, like we stop and we focus in and we say, what can I do to help? And what is going wrong? I love you. I care for you. Like you are special to me and beautiful in God's sight. And we are in this together. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Next thing that it calls the husbands to do is to show honor to your wife. Show honor to your wife. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Okay, I want to walk through this because there's some really cool stuff here. So honor. Honor is to esteem highly, to, to show value or dignity or worth, okay? And then, and then it's really interesting how it chooses to say, uh, to the woman, to the woman. This could be also translated uh, the female or the feminine one. So there's an emphasis on the fact that your wife is unique in her womanhood. So honor the woman as what? As the weaker vessel. Uh, vessel is typically used to refer to uh, the physical nature of men and women. And weaker is a comparative here. So the, the weaker vessel, what is this talking about? Well, it's talking about this generally. Okay, don't think of specific one-to-one comparisons. Okay, generally across time and history in the world, men and women are different in this aspect. Women are typically not as physically strong as Men, think brute strength, okay? What this is not saying, hear me, this is not saying weak, not that, okay? My wife has given birth to three children like a boss. (laughs) And I pass out at the sight of needles, all right? Not weak. That is not what this is communicating, okay? So let me, let me talk this through for a second in, in hopes that we'll see what it's communicating. So honor, esteem highly your wife as a woman who may not be as strong physically, but husbands, don't be tempted in your physical strength to somehow think that you have greater value than your wives. Husbands, don't be tempted with your greater strength to sinfully intimidate your wife with your strength. No. You are to show honor to your wife. Why? Because she is an heir with you of the grace of life. Like honor is this depth of esteem that is displayed towards your wife for her unique role and her unique value added to to life and marriage. And she is an heir with you of all the benefits of salvation, both in this life and in eternity. And, And we see this across scripture. I mean, it starts in the first couple pages of the Bible, right? Man and woman, 
both equally made in the image of God in dignity and in worth, both given the responsibility to be visible representatives of an invisible God, now brought together in the covenant of marriage, made one flesh by him so that they would be a living picture of Christ's love for his church and now considering each other more significant than themselves. That's wonderful. Husbands, we are meant to live out our hope in God by living with our wives in an understanding and an honoring way. We're meant to recognize and to celebrate her worth and her unique role in this marriage and her gifts and her abilities. And we're meant to encourage her to use those gifts and abilities alongside of us on mission together for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. And then look at the end of verse seven. There's like this daunting phrase that he concludes with. It's like, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, do this, why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Ah. In other words, that's the Lord saying, uh, I take this really seriously. Your walk, your fellowship with the Lord will be hindered. If you're walking in disobedience in this relationship. And husbands, the way you, the way you live with your wife it displays your hope or your lack thereof. So I'm gonna ask you, how are you living with your wife? Are you living with her in an understanding, in an honoring way? Uh, some of us, I think, even right here today, just need to repent before the Lord for the way that we've, treated our spouse. And we need to do that not just for her sake. According to this passage, we need to do that for the sake of our own souls. So hope is displayed in fearless submission and inner beauty. Hope is displayed in understanding and in honor. And third and the last one that we'll see in this passage, hope is displayed in repaying evil with blessing. Hope is displayed in repaying. Evil with blessing. Look down to uh, verse eight. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this, you were called so that you may obtain a blessing. So it says, all of you now, all of you across these last couple chapters, we're all called to display your hope by a couple things in this. First, by living harmoniously and humble. Look at the qualities that we see here in verse eight. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. That's harmony. Be characterized by sympathy 
and brotherly love and a tender heart and a humble mind. This is how you're supposed to live holy in a hostile world. But then it goes into this other one. It says, all of you display your hope by repaying evil with blessing. Bless. Bless means to to speak well of or to show favor to or to bring good into someone's life. Uh, We're meant to love, serve, forgive, and to do good to everyone. I even and especially our persecutors. Why? Why? Well, one, it's commanded by our king. Right? Uh, if that's not enough, uh, it's next. It says in this verse that it results in blessing. It results in blessing both in this life and in eternity when we live in this way. And it also, it also testifies to the beauty of the gospel. It testifies to the beauty of our Savior who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing so that we might proclaim his excellencies to a lost world. You might be like, you're kidding me, right? I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm supposed to not just receive evil in all of its various forms, but I'm actually called to respond to evil with blessing? Like, I'll get eaten alive in this world. That's not even possible, and it's definitely, I don't think, right or fair. Who does that? Well, turn back a page in your Bible to 1 Peter 2, and let me show you who does that. Look down at verse 21. It says, for to this you've been called (laughs) to display hope by repaying evil with blessing. To this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was there any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But watch this, watch this. But continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's who does that. Christ does that. And he did that on our behalf so that we would now follow his example and live holy lives in a hostile world as testimony to his beauty. How do we do that? How do we display hope in submission and inner beauty? How do we display hope in understanding and honor? How do we display hope in repaying evil with blessing? Well, look at verses 10 through 12 here. Peter quotes from Psalm 34 in order to help us see how says this, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, which I find that interesting because, wait, in the midst of suffering, 
and persecution. Even then, we can desire to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's like, here's how. Here's how you live this way. Holy and a hostile world. You turn away from evil and you turn towards what is good and you do it and you seek after peace and you pursue it. I mean, basically, is what he's saying here is live into the gospel, right? Remember the example of Christ that we saw here in chapter two and we're gonna see here again in the coming weeks and pursue him and turn away from what is sinful and evil and turn instead towards him and his ways and live into and out of your hope. Last question for us this morning is, this, how does, does my life display my hope? How can my life this week, in my marriage, in my relationship with others, my yielding to the governing authorities, in my workplace, how can I live out my hope? If you cling to open God, it will overflow in a life that stands firm in faithfulness to him. Even in the midst of suffering. And it will testify to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a lost and dying world. Father, we thank you. <laughs> oh, you're so good. Thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you that because of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf, that we have hope. Like we are no longer hopeless. There's hope in this life and there's hope for all of eternity because what you have accomplished in Christ. And Lord, that changes everything. Not only is our eternity changed, but it changes the way that we live our lives here. It changes the way that we live underneath our governing authorities. It changes the way that we go to work every day. It changes the way that we live and interact with each other as husband and wife. It changes the way that we live even in the midst of mocking and suffering and persecution, Lord. It changes everything. We have hope because of you. Lord, would you help us to live out that hope? And here's, here's what's awesome. You haven't left us on our own to do that. 
We, we have your spirit in us and among us able to help us to live out this beautiful picture of the gospel in our relationships. Lord, we need you. We are desperately dependent upon you. Would you help us, forgive us for our failures? Thank you for your forgiveness. You are good, Lord. and We desire to proclaim your beauty in this world so that you would be glorified and so that others too would be able to cling to this hope to which we rest everything. Love you, Jesus, so much. In Jesus' precious name.